1 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to do the whole chapter this morning, so let me get started by reading. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me, and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with, with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. And they said, You have not defrauded us, or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron, and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazar, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them, and they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, because we have forsaken the Lord, and have served the Baals and the Astaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam, and Barak, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking for yourself or for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Verse 19. All the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to our sins this evil to ask 
for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and in the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Amen. <clears throat> so when I started preparing this sermon at the beginning of the week, uh, you know, God always amazes me by the things that he does. And when he makes those things known to me, not only to me, but I'm sure that happens to you as well. God is amazing when his providence is very evident to us. And his providence came out for me, whenever I started to prepare this sermon, I, um, I tend to plan, sermon plan about two months out, two to three months out, just depending on how much time I have. And part of the sermon planning is obviously looking at our congregation, looking at the passage, and understanding what our congregation needs from the Word of God. Picking the passage, and then that allows the worship team to pick their songs that they're going to sing on Sunday. And so it helps the church to prepare, you know, as, as we go along preaching through the book. And so I prepared this passage a couple of months ago and, uh, you know, looked at how it's grouped together and said, I'm going to preach on this on this Sunday. And as I started looking at this passage, the whole theme of reflection continued to come up, uh, reflecting on our past, reflecting on history reflecting on how good God is. And I just continue to think about that, not knowing that this is the last Sunday of the year, right? And that's what I mean about the providence of the Lord, not knowing that this is the last Sunday of the year and that this is the perfect topic to discuss on, you know, the last Sunday of the year. You know, when you, you hear this sermon, you might think, man, that was pretty neat that Pastor Ricky was able to time it just right to have this sermon on the last Sunday of the year. And I need to tell you that I can't take any credit for that. It's the Lord and his providence who, uh, who, who arranged things for this sermon to take place today. But I, I do want to focus on the concept of reflection. And uh, we tend to reflect on our lives after we have reached a milestone, either good or bad. Uh, you know, when, though, for those of you who are uh, older than 18, uh, one of the biggest things that, that you first reflect upon is your graduation, right? So after, you're, after you graduate or during that time when you're about to graduate, you're about to end that era of your life, begin a new one, uh, you start to reflect on, on your childhood and how things have gone up to that point. Um, for many of us, those who have been married, uh, you know, when Leading up to the marriage, there's a lot of reflection that takes place. Now, to go on the negative side, for us who have experienced divorce, there's a lot of reflection that takes place on that side as well. After kids, going up to having your first child, right, and then how life was with, between you and 
your wife or you and your husband until you had kids. And then when kids leave the house, there's reflection that takes place. Um, whenever there's a change in ministry for those who are Christians in here and you have been working in a certain ministry or in a certain place for a long time, when that comes to an end, you tend to reflect upon that. Upon the death of a loved one, there is a lot of reflection that takes place there. And how about this? At the dawn of your own death. I think that's when we do the most reflection. When we are about to leave this earth and we are about to enter into the presence of God, there's a lot of reflection that takes place upon our own lives. But one of the most common times of reflection is when a new year comes. And I think reflection is most useful at the end of something or at the beginning of something else because it helps us to evaluate what has taken place. And not only what has taken place, but where it is that we want to go from there or what we want to do from there. And so reflection is very important. And as a church, we need to take advantage of that. So I think this sermon is very timely. W.B. Franklin defines the act of reflecting as the habit of bending back the attention of the mind from action and experience to scrutinize and contemplate the nature and meaning of self in the world. Now, I like that definition because of the idiom of bending back, bending over backwards is what is meant there. <clears throat> I think about that and, and how hard that is. I remember as a youth, one of the things that we used to do in, in high school in basketball warmups was we used to do back bends. Uh, not just like straight back, but we used to start off on the floor and then raise ourselves back. But we used to do back bends so that we could be stretched out nice, you know, and, and, and nice and limber. If I try to back bend now, you would be having to pray for me because I'd be in a hospital probably. Right? Yeah. And we can all agree. And, and so this idiom of, of, of back bend is very interesting to me because uh, reflection, in a sense, is not comfortable many times or at times. In fact, sometimes it's extremely painful. Uh, my daughter, early, she loves backbends. You probably see her doing them here at church. All the kids, they, they do all kind of cartwheels, flips, everything. And you understand that if you did that, it, it would be painful. But they can do that and they're okay. Well, whenever we reflect upon the past, it's sometimes hard, it's painful. But listen to this, it is necessary. It is necessary because reflection is a conscious effort to scrutinize and to contemplate your actions within a past time frame. Now, listen to what I said very carefully. It is your time to scrutinize and contemplate. It's not just a wasted action of you just thinking about the good old days, but true reflection. And especially when we talk about reflection with God in theology, it's to scrutinize and contemplate your actions within a past time frame. And when you do that, it's uncomfortable and it's painful. But as I said, it is very necessary. Why? Because God has arranged it to where reflection is needed for repentance. We're supposed to repent daily. But then sometimes, let's be honest, as we go out throughout our years or as we go throughout our life, we, we sometimes forget about our past sins. We sometimes forget about how good God is. And reflection is needed in order for us to go back and see those things. 
Sometimes we forget about how much God has grown us in the past year. There are many Christians who feel like, man, I haven't grown in five, six years, but they really aren't paying attention to the day to day because they're not the same person that they used to be. So God has arranged it where reflection is necessary for repentance and for spiritual growth. For us not to scrutinize, for us not to contemplate our past, is for us not to learn, and we cannot afford to do that. Especially if we're seeking repentance and if we're seeking um, growth, spiritual growth, we cannot afford to not reflect upon our past. When we look at our passage in the prior verses, Saul had been appointed king of Israel. We've already saw this in chapters 10 and 11. And as Saul is, is, is uh, appointed as the king of Israel, Samuel is now stepping down. And Samuel had been the judge of Israel, meaning he was a government official who was leading the nation, not exactly a king, but God had appointed judges to lead the nation and they were his representatives. And so now what we see here in our text is Samuel is stepping down from that position, that ruling position, so to speak. And Saul is being brought in as a king. And so now Samuel would no longer serve God as ruler, but he would serve him only as prophet and priest. So Samuel is not completely going away. We're going to continue to see Samuel in our text as we continue to study the book of 1 Samuel. But he's not going to serve the same role that he was serving. He is now prophet and priest. And it's here at the closing of this era of Samuel's life where he reflects upon his own life and also the life of the nation of Israel. And it is through this public reflection that the people here remember the good works that the Lord has done and and so much more. See, this text provides us with some real deep truths that should edify us, that should bring us, uh, really that should guide us to how we should reflect upon our own lives in the light of God's word. Because that's also important. It's not reflection just to reflect, but it's reflection based on what God has said. So let us get into it. What I first want to bring up is I want to bring up the fact that when Samuel started his reflection, he reflected upon the faithfulness of the Lord. And if you see your Bibles, if you look at chapter 12, then before I get into any verses, I want us to understand something when we look at this text and for us to know this text better. It's important for us to know that Samuel is the Lord's spokesperson here. Right. So even though we see Samuel uh, looking back at his own personal life, that's not the point of of this passage. And that's not the point of even verses one, one through five. Uh, Samuel is the Lord's spokesperson in this passage. And the reflection that is taking place over the past actions is over the past actions of the nation. So the point of this reflection is not really Samuel looking back at his life and saying, oh, how good of a job that I that I do. That does take place. But the point of this passage is really for the nation. How good did we do as a nation? Where did we fail God as a nation? And how has God been faithful to us as a nation? It's important for us to know this because 
if we think that Samuel is looking back for himself, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I come away with is Samuel is pretty prideful of himself because he basically says, I have not sinned against you. Right. And so if we were to look back as far as reflection, we would recognize, I would hope we would recognize our own sin first and foremost. And we know Samuel's not Jesus. So Samuel had sin. But see, that wasn't the point. The point Samuel is making is that, listen, God has appointed me as leader of the nation. And it is God who we should praise because through God's guidance, I have not sinned against you. Through God's providence and his appointment of me, I have been a good ruler to you. Now, this is opposed to the king they have chosen for themselves, which they were already warned of the bad that he would do to them. So what is Samuel doing here? Well, he's placing God versus their idols. God chose Samuel to lead the nation. He was a good ruler. The people chose Saul to be their king. Bad ruler. And that's what's taking place here. So Samuel is not trying to toot his own horn, so to speak. His purpose is to show the great provisions of the Lord and that the Lord has provided for the nation of Israel a faithful leader to lead them. And guess what? They are rejecting that leader that God had given them. They said to Samuel, you're old. You're no use to us anymore. You were great. When you were younger, you were vigorous. You led us. We appreciate everything you've done. But we don't need you anymore. We want a king. And the Lord revealed it to Samuel. Listen, they're not rejecting you. In reality, they're rejecting me because I am the one who appointed you as the leader over the nation. So this is what we have going on. And there are three things that Samuel points out. Look at verses uh, four and five. He first invites agreement from the people that his leadership has been blameless. Let's read, read those two verses. This is what he tells the people. They said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day. Who is his anointed? Well, right now, his anointed is King Saul. He is the one who has been anointed king. So Samuel is saying this. Look, there is proof that I have not defrauded you. I stand before God and I stand before your king. And they are both hearing you that I have not defrauded you in any way. And he says, you have not found anything in my hand, meaning I have not taken anything that wasn't mine. And they said, he is witness. Now, if you're casually reading that, you think, okay, well, what's the big deal? Well, what they are recognizing here, what the people, what they are recognizing as a nation is that God has not done anything bad to them in, in, in any form or fashion. God is innocent of any wrongdoing. And they are verifying that by saying, yes. Yes, our king and God, they are a witness that we have nothing against you, Samuel. So then the question is, why do you want a king? 
If God is not to blame here and he's provided for you in every way, why is it that you want a king? Now, I don't know about you, but that really hits me right in the heart because there are many times in my own prayer life, I have to acknowledge that God has blessed me tremendously. And I even start my prayer that way. I say, God, you have blessed me beyond what I deserve, beyond measure. My cup runneth over, but I also need this, God. I need this. Whatever it would be, if it's, if it's, if it's money or if it's a person or it's a thing, it's like, God, you have given me more than I deserve, but I need this. What are we saying? We're saying what Israel is saying. We are witness that you are good to us. We are witnesses that you have blessed us beyond measure. We are witnesses that you are sovereign over our lives and that you watch over us and you bring us calamity, you bring us peace, you bring us all these things. We are witnesses that you are good, but oh, by the way, I need something outside of you. Or I need something outside of what you have already provided for me. Second thing that Samuel points out, he points out that in the past, it was always the Lord who appointed leaders. Look at verse six. Samuel said to the people, the Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. And they, all these leaders that, that, that God has provided, they have all proven to be adequate. Look at verses 7 and 8. Therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. So throughout all their turmoil, from Egypt until now, God has provided faithful leaders to them where they are now in the promised land, this land that God had promised them way back then. Then third, Samuel emphasizes that even when Israel forgot the Lord their God, the Lord was gracious to them. And although the Lord subjected them to enemy oppression, we see that in verse 9, he heard their confessions of sin and their cries for deliverance in verse 10, and he raised up leaders, he raised up judges, who Samuel himself was among them. He raised them up to lead them out of their oppression, and we see that in verse 11. Now, it's important for us to look back because the common theme here is Israel, of Israel's past is that the Lord has been faithful in providing leaders for them. He has been faithful in giving them what they need, He has been faithful in every way, but they have been unfaithful by the rejecting of the Lord and following idols. That's that's the summarization of Israel's past. And look, this is not me reading into what's going on here in this passage. Even God, he, he announces this specifically, and he says this, about the nation of Israel. Look at, um, let's back up to chapter 8. I want to read you a couple of verses from chapter 8 of what God said about the nation of Israel. 
And he said, and this is when they asked for, when they initially asked for a king. Uh, He says, chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Now listen to this, verse 8. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. God tells Samuel, look, don't take it personal. They've, they've done this. They've done this from the very beginning. They are stiff-necked, hard-headed people. And they have rejected me from the very beginning. So don't take it personal, Samuel. Yes, they are rejecting you, but in reality, they are rejecting me. And they will answer for their sins. See, as Christians, we must learn from the Israelites' example. We, we have to learn from that example. We cannot be stiff-necked. We cannot be hard-headed. We have the advantage of looking back and seeing the mistakes of others and praying that God help us not be like that. And we also need to be careful to look back at the mistakes of others and say we're better than that or we would not do that. Because if we are careful about reflection in our lives and if we're truthful about our own actions, we will realize that we are the Israelites and that there is some repenting that we need to do in our lives. As Christians, we must learn, as I said, we belong to the Lord And the Bible says that we are a chosen race, just like the Israelites. Like the Israelites, we are a royal priesthood. Like the Israelites, we are a holy nation. And like the Israelites, we are a people for his own possession. Why? That we, you and I, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In that verse, 1 Peter 2.9, or within that verse, we find our, both our position and our purpose in this life. You see, we are the people of God. That means we do not bow down and we should not search out any idols. What God has given us, Paul says we need to be content in that. Even if it's the best thing or the worst thing. If God has not taken it away, We ourselves should not look towards our healing as what we need, but rather what we need is more of God and more of his peace and more of his power and more of him in order to deal with this illness that we have or this heartache that we have or this circumstance that we have. But we tend to look at our situation and we say, thank you, God, for everything you have given me. And I will be completely happy and I will be satisfied and I'll never ask you for anything again if you give me this that I want. When we do that, we are no different than the Israelites. Because what God has told us is that his grace, his grace is sufficient for us. No matter what we're going through in life, we have to know that fact His grace is sufficient for us so that in our weakness, we are proclaiming his wonderful 
excellencies. Man, that is so easy for me to preach. And I see a lot of heads nodding. It's so easy to agree with. But how about when we start to do it? It's not so easy then. Reflection helps us with that. We have to be honest with ourselves. We're not faithful servants. A lot of Christians, they're, they have the wrong mindset about their own lives. They think, well, I'm forgiven for all my sins. I'm not a sinner anymore. We have to be very careful. A sinner sins. We still sin to this day. The difference is, is that we have been rescued from the penalty of our sin. Yes, we chase after the things of God and we want to please God, but we also have this battle taking place in us that we want to please ourselves. And we need to be very careful to choose, to choose the way of faithfulness. It is a choice. It doesn't happen automatically. It'd be nice if we were just obedient and that was it. But we are not. None of us are. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need to look to God and reflect upon how good God is to us and how faithful he has been for us. And no matter what we're dealing with, we need to realize that we owe a lot of gratitude and we owe contentment to the Lord for his goodness. Our purpose in life is to follow the commands of our king. Our purpose in life is to bring him glory. And our purpose in life is to recognize that we have a sovereign God who rules over us. And no matter what happens to us, it is for our good. And that's what our purpose in life is. It's not about us. It's not about how much we can achieve. It's not about us living pain-free. It's not about us doing anything outside of God. Our purpose in life is found in the Lord. So what does that teach us? It teaches us this, that we should not put our confidence in man, our empty things. See, those things, just like Samuel tells the Israelites, those things cannot do what the Lord has done for us. So think about that next time you're praying, please. You're thanking God for all the blessings he has given you. Think very carefully what you are praying for that you need. Now, there are honestly some things that you need. But don't pray for those things in place of God. They are not your saviors. They are empty things. Only the Lord saves. Now, let's continue. As we continue to look at our text, the Lord confirms the guilt of the nation. So Samuel brings up the faithfulness of the Lord. And now... The guilt of the nation is going to fall upon the nation itself. 
See, when we have, when we do reflection, the sins, or excuse me, through reflection, the sins of the people have been brought to their attention. And when we look at this, it shows us the purpose of reflection. When we reflect upon our past, we are not to glorify our sin, but to see our guilt in it. I think that's something that we all have to do, and we have to be very careful about. Uh, We all have our own testimonies, so to speak, our lives before God and how we came to the Lord. And sometimes, and I even do this myself, sometimes we get caught up in the past and in the fun memories that we've had and the crazy things that you've done, and you start to glorify the sin of your past. You start to look upon it and it's like, oh, the good old days. Or you, you stop to see the, the, the evilness in what you were doing and you just think like, oh, those were good times. Those were fun times. And we need to remember those were our days of rebellion against the Lord. Those were sins. God doesn't see your past and say, look at that guy. He had such character. Look at that guy. He was crazy. I enjoyed him so much back then. This is what we do with our own lives. God doesn't look at our lives that way. When we look back, we need to be seeing the sin that we brought to the Lord. This is a sin that your Lord died for. So not only 15, 20, 30 years ago, what you need to think of is this past year and your sin this year. Because we tend to look at ourselves as compared to other people God says, no, I'm not measuring you compared to the person who's sitting next to you. I'm measuring you compared to my son, Jesus Christ. So unless we've achieved perfection, we better look at ourselves and the standard is Christ. And when the standard is Christ, we will realize that we have sinned as 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 husbands, as wives. We have sinned as parents. We have sinned as grandparents. We have sinned as employers, as employees. We have sinned as neighbors. We have sinned in every way possible. And reflection helps us to see that. We don't glorify our sin, but we see our guilt in it. And the people stand before the Lord, and the Lord confirms through a divine sign that he knows about their sins. Look at verses 16 through 18. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. So Samuel says, okay, watch closely, stand still, look about what the Lord's about to do to confirm that he knows of your sin. He says, is it not wheat harvest today? You know what that means? What Samuel is saying is, isn't it not the middle of summer in South Texas? Have we not been through a drought for the last two to three weeks? That's what Samuel is saying. Because at the wheat harvest, there was no rain. It was dry. It was hot. And Samuel is pointing out the fact it hasn't rained in a while. And oh, by the way, it doesn't look like it's going to rain right now. And so he's letting them know, isn't it in the middle of a drought that we are standing here today? Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord and asking for yourself a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord. He prayed 
And the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And watch this. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So it was this sign. The Lord's going to bring down thunder and rain to confirm that he sees your sin. And whenever they saw it happen, it says that they feared the Lord. They finally realized that their sin was before the Lord. They finally realized that the Lord saw past their, their, their action. He saw straight into their heart and they were naked before him. And they had nowhere to run and they had nowhere to hide. And guess what happens whenever someone feels that? It's a sense of dread that comes over them. We see it in scripture all the time. One of the more famous example is Isaiah. When Isaiah stood before the Lord in a vision. And he said, oh my. I'm as good as dead. I'm a sinful man and I live among people who are sinful. There's no way, there's no reason I should be here. I'm dead. This is the dread that comes over the people when they see the sign. They feel completely exposed. I have a question for you today for the Christians who are here. As a Christian, have you ever felt dread? Think about that for a minute. Now, listen to that question very carefully. I'm asking you as a Christian, because as unbelievers, as unbelievers, we, we did feel dread. When the weight of our sin came upon us, we felt dread. When the gospel was preached to us, it was like, oh, no, what am I going to do with this sin? And then the good news of the gospel was preached that we give that sin to Christ because Christ died for that sin. So that sin is lifted off of us and we have this 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 burden that's been lifted off of us. So we know dread when it comes to being unbelievers. But listen, as Christians, do you ever feel dread before the Lord? And the reason why I ask that is that today I believe that there's not enough dread of sin before the Lord. Why? Because we, we know we're saved. That is the good news of the gospel. We are saved. We know that if we are saved, that God is going to keep us. No one's going to snatch us out of his hand. So we know that God is not only, he, not only he, that he saved us, but that he is keeping us to the end. So we have like this free pass. And we walk around and we sin and we think, oh, well, yeah, I know my sin is bad, but the Lord has forgiven me, has, for, has forgiven me for it. But is that our response? Is that what it should be? You see, our response to our sin, it should have a sense of dread that comes with it. Because every sin that we sin, it is against the anointed one. Every sin that we sin, it is against God. God knows our actions and knows our thoughts. He knows our motives. That is scary. We always wonder, like, I wonder what people would think of me if they knew what I thought. Right? Because we can come to church and we're like, hey, brother, how you doing? Well, I'm doing great, brother. It's great to see you. 
And we take it for granted that they're happy to see us, but do we really know what they're thinking? You ever thought about that? Or when your wife or your husband tells you, I love you, sweetie. You ever wonder what they're really thinking? I love you, but I don't like you much right now. God sees our hearts. And we have, we're, we're all in agreement in here. We sin every day. So then God sees every sin that we commit. Listen, we don't even recognize every sin that we commit. We go in day in and day out and we pray for forgiveness. And I tell you what, we probably leave 90% of our sin on the table, forgetting to ask about that. And thank God, he, Jesus has already died for all of our sins. And we can close our prayer with and any sin I've forgotten. Because I am a sinful person and I don't even realize sometimes when I'm sinning against you. God sees all of that. So there was this dread because they finally saw what, they, what their sins deserved. Now let me ask you this morning, have you ever thought about what your sins deserved? The Bible says death. Condemnation, separation from God, no mercy, no grace, no peace, no goodness. That's what your sins deserve. You start to think about that. And a little bit of dread sets in. What have I done? The people responded in verse 19. Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. You catch that? We agree with you. We have sinned against God in so many ways. And we have added to our sin today. Please pray for us, brother, because we don't we don't want to die. We acknowledge you are God's representative. We should have never rejected you. You are a godsend. And that's why the scripture says that they feared God and Samuel. We should have never rejected you. Please pray for us. See, the people stand guilty before the Lord. And guess what? They deserve to die for their sins. Yet are but the Lord showed them mercy. You see, the good news for us is that that sense of dread, it, it doesn't end there. There's mercy on the other side. So we should feel dread because of what our sins deserve. But don't, don't, don't waller in that because on the other side is the mercy that God has extended to his people. Look at verses 20 to 22. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. That is, that is the message of the gospel. Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. That's also the gospel. You have all sinned. And I should say, we have all sinned. Do not be afraid. Yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And then in verse 23, he says this. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and in the right way. As we read that passage, I bet it was very humbling for the Israelites to hear that their past sin, about their past sins and how they, <clears throat> how they were defined by them. We've identified that God had already said this is who they are. They've been like this from the very beginning. They're idolatrous. They were an idolatrous people who were seeking to serve themselves. Now, I, I have to bring us back into this. This is a true picture of humanity. We are idolatrous people. We are born as sinners. We die as sinners. That is who we are. Unless we come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, our sins remain on us. But the Bible tells us that when we come to know him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is 1 John 1 verse 9. Also, what's in view here is a great lesson of how we should treat one another for our past sins against each other. See, the Israelites had not only rejected the Lord, but they also rejected Samuel. And the verse that I read you from verse 23, this is Samuel's response to them. The Lord did not, re the Lord did not reject them. He did not leave them. And Samuel says, as for me... Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you and I will instruct you. So what is he saying? Hey, don't worry about me. I'm not going away. I am here to serve you faithfully as prophet and priest. And by the way, I'm not doing this for you. I'm not doing this because you treat me right. I'm not doing this because you appreciate me. He says, I am doing it. For the Lord. I tell you what, that's a great lesson for us to learn in our relationships, because there are marriages right now that are falling apart because you cannot forgive each other's sin. And, you, and either one of you, you think you deserve better and you're not going to help each other. You're not going to be each other's helpmate. You're not going to sacrifice yourself. You're not going to humble yourself until they start to humble themselves, until they start to treat you the way you think you deserve. And Samuel's like, no, listen, I know you don't appreciate me. I know you've rejected me. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this out of reverence for Christ. This goes along in all of our relationships. I mentioned husband and wives, but even in our church relationships, I find myself coming back to this thought often. I'm not doing this for y'all. It must be for the Lord and the Lord only. What you do, you must do out of reverence for Christ. And then the last point is this. Israel's reflection, as they reflect upon their past, not only does it reveal how good God has been, and not only is their sin brought before them, but their reflection reveals that the Lord is good. Because the Lord will not fail himself, again, he's not doing this for us. There are a lot of people who are confused about that. Oh, the Lord has saved us because 
He loves us so much. That is true, but that is not the purpose of why he saves us. That is not the purpose of why he has us to be his for eternity. The purpose for all things is for his glory. And that's what we see here. That the Lord, he says, I have chosen you. I will not let you go. Why? Not because you're good people. Not because you deserve it. Not because I appreciate you but because I will not fail myself. I have promise and I will deliver. He will not abandon us because he will not fail himself. Samuel tells the people that they are indeed guilty, but that the Lord, even though they are guilty, he is good and he is gracious. And he also says to them that if they turn from their evil ways, that the Lord will forgive them. Look at verses 14 and 15. And if you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if you, if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord, your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Notice they must choose. They must choose to fear the Lord. They must choose to obey his voice. They must choose not to rebel against his commandments. And if they do, it will be well for them. But if they do not fear the Lord, if they do not obey his voice, and if they rebel against his commandments, it says, then the hand of the Lord will be against them. There's that dread part again, right? This is something else I think we don't think much of, or we do not make much of it. The hand of the Lord being against us. People say, well, you know, I'm... How bad could it be that the hand of the Lord is against me? God is a loving God. He would never do anything that that hurts. You know, he just he's just a God of love. It's it's all it's all just great. It's all grace with him. Um, Let me read this from Proverbs one. This is uh, this is an example of God's hand against somebody. Uh, Proverbs one verses twenty three to thirty one. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would none and would have none of my reproof. Listen to this verse 26. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then you will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but I will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despise all of my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. And that's what it's like to have the hand of the Lord against you. That's the dread that I'm speaking of. There's an old country song called Daddy's Hands. Has anyone ever heard that song? Yeah. I, I love all genres of music and uh, country is one of my favorite, especially old country songs. They remind me of my father. My father would always listen to country songs, and so they're just stuck in my hands or in my head. But the, the chorus of Daddy's Hands goes like this. 
Daddy's hands were soft and kind when I was crying. Daddy's hands were hard as steel when I'd done wrong. Daddy's hands weren't always gentle, but I've come to understand there was always love in Daddy's hands. My kids love that song because they say it reminds them of, of me. I think as a, at the end of my life, that's something they're going to reflect upon, the discipline of their mother and father. And how it wasn't always pleasant, but it was always necessary. See, that's what reflection does for us. I can now look back at my childhood and I can say I appreciate a mother who spanked the snot out of me when I needed it. I appreciate a father who worked his fingers to the bone to provide for me. I can appreciate God's provision over my life when it was not easy. God is good. God has been faithful. And listen, when we look at this year, man, be honest with yourself. You have not been faithful. You have been worried about your own life, about your own things. You have failed as husbands, as wives, as kids. Whatever area you're in, you have failed the Lord. You have sought your own devices. And you must realize the trouble that you have that gone through this year, you are not completely innocent of that. That's a hard pill to swallow. We have sinned against the Lord, but yet the Lord is good to us. That's the kind of reflection that we need to have. But it doesn't stop there. What's the purpose of reflection? To see my sin, to repent from it, and to cling on to the Lord. To do what the Lord has commanded. We're just like the Israelites right now. We need to look back. We need to see his faithfulness. But the purpose of all this is not just to say thank you, Lord, and walk away and still be the same person. The purpose of all this is to grow from this. Listen, we should feel dread because we have sinned against a holy God, but we should also know that the Lord is good and gracious. When it comes to our sanctification, and I'll leave you with this last lingering thought. When it comes to our sanctification, we are not who we are supposed to be, but because of the Lord, we are also not who we once were. May God continue to help us to be more like Christ. Let us pray.